Is the bear market over? Happy third week of July, Bankless Nation. Are you ready for it? I hope you are. It's another weekly roll-up where David and I download the week. And David, today you are coming in from uh, Paris, France, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So at ECC, uh, where it all began, meaning uh, a year ago, ECC a year ago was like the first conference that really kicked off conference season and then just like a mania of conferences after that. Uh, but now it's a year later and it's crazy that it's only been one year since like the last ECC, which re really it, it, it kicked off in real life crypto for so many people, all the conferencers and conference goers of the, of the world. Uh, it, so much has happened in the last year. Um, Vitalik had his talk about um, uh, non-financial use cases of blockchains a, a year ago. And then, like, about six months later, we have things like Lens Protocol gets shipped. Uh, and then, like, Soulbound Tokens captures, like, everyone's attention. And we have, like, uh, verifiable credentials. And so he just had a, a talk today. I actually didn't listen to it because um, I had to come do this. Um, but I was talking to him in my quick little interview, which we'll talk more about later. I was like, Vitalik, what, what's, what are you going to talk about this year? What, what, are, what are we going to be focusing on in about six months as a result of this talk you're about to give? Uh, and so I asked him that question in a little interview. Imagine the power of to speak things into existence. Yeah. You're just like, oh, I think it'd be cool if we did this. And then boom, right. stuff starts happening. But I know you brought a lot of content mm -hmm. home with you from ETCC. And mm -hmm. the great thing about it is, um, guys, you know, Bakeless, I, uh, I don't get out as much as David. Of course, you guys know this, right? So David hits all of the conferences uh -huh. for me and for all of us collectively mm -hmm. because we can't go to everything. And I think you've brought home like two hours of content or something yeah. like this, a whole bunch of interviews. I haven't even seen some of this stuff. Yeah, but you're going to have to wait, wait in line like everyone else, Ryan. <laughs> are you going to tell us about that now or are you going to tease that and, uh, and well, talk about it toward the end of this episode? I'll just say I interviewed eight people from across the ecosystem. We'll talk a little bit more uh, about some. <laughs> okay, here, here's one. Here's, uh, here's a little bit. Um, I asked Kane about his fight with Suzu. <laughs> and so that was pretty fun. <laughs> and yes. then I also asked the Starkware team if they, if they would ever um, move Starkware the Layer 2 into Starkware the Layer 1. Um, so you know, things just have a, a little bit more spiciness in real life. Uh, and so I enjoyed that angle. I love that. Uh, thanks for being spicy, man. These are the questions yeah. people want answered. But guys, we have some of the topics that I think you're going to want to hear about because the roll-up, the purpose of this show that we do every single Friday, and I hope you're enjoying your morning coffee. People are like, why coffee? Why not herbal tea? Whatever your hot beverage of choice is, I hope you are well, enjoying again, it. If it's only black coffee, it's coffee. If you <laughs> add anything to it, it's a beverage. See, like more of this uh, carbs minimalism coming out of David. I don't know, but... Uh, <laughs> We've got some topics to cover. We're going to get through them in just a minute. The first is, the question on everyone's mind, I think, is, is the merch being priced in? Okay, ETH prices are way up Big. from the bottom. But Big. was that the bottom? The question mm -hmm. is, was this the shortest bear market ever? What else are we going to talk about this week? You know, uh, not too long ago, Ryan, there was the Phone Wars week where like Solana launched its phone and then we had like three more like phone things get released on the same week, like weird that, that happened the same week. Well, this week it's ZK EVM week. Uh, so Polygon just uh, announced their ZK EVM, EVM equivalent. Um, so, did, so did ZK Sync. Uh, and then also Scroll, uh, also another ZK EVM, also announced their ZK, ZK EVM uh, uh, announcement. Uh, so I guess this week is just ZK EVM week. Uh, and so... Well, we'll talk about why everyone's so excited about the ZK EVM. There's also, we get to actually get super detailed uh, report as to what actually backs a USDC. So we'll talk about that. And of course, it's never ending, Ryan. The Three Arrow Saga continues. Um, as it, I probably will next week and the week after and the week after, I bet. 
Guys, quick PSA for you as well. Did you know you're listening to Bankless on Spotify? You can also see Bankless on Spotify. This is a new feature that they just launched. Mm-hmm. They, they picked Bankless as a podcast that they're co-launching this with where inside of the Spotify app, you actually get video. So go check that out on Spotify. I uh, watch some of the podcasts I enjoy this way as well. It's kind of a cool format. And Mm -hmm. it gets some distribution outside of YouTube. So we've got a few different ways we are distributing bankless visual content. Uh, And we do have some visuals in the show. Mm -hmm. So it can be useful to go check that out. Uh, David. Did did you know, Ryan, that on the the road, uh, people that listen to the podcast often think I'm Ryan because they don't know what we look like? No way. Yeah, they very frequently are like, oh, Ryan from Bankless. I'm like, no. (laughs) The other one. (laughs) Because they've never seen your face? Yeah, they don't know what we look look like. Guys. If you don't know what David or myself look like, you're missing out. You've got some pretty faces. You're missing out on at least one of us, okay? Uh, But go check out Spotify. Just catch a glimpse. If you see us Mm -hmm. in person, you'll know who's Mm -hmm. David and who's Ryan. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we have nice cameras, guys. (laughs) Yeah, we we have okay cameras. That's right. David, let's get to markets, man. Bitcoin. We got the happy music playing. We should play some happy Mm -hmm. music in the background because we're up a little bit on the week. Let me share the Bitcoin charts and you tell us what's going on. Yeah, Bitcoin up about 11% this week. It started about $20,200 and we are up to $22,600. 11%, double digit percent. You, you can't be sad about that. That is a good no, week. I'm not sad about that. I'm very happy about that actually. <laughs> and uh, ETH tells a similar story. What are we looking at here? Uh, more, more than 11%, Ryan. Uh, ETH is up 31%, uh, going up from about 1150 to where it is now at 1500 It hit uh, $1,650 at the peak, which is pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. That is a good week. There's not very many weeks that you see 30% in a blue chip like ETH. No, that's huge, right? And so yeah. let's get into it because the question on everyone's mind, I think, is twofold, right? So we have the first question of... Is the bear market over? Right. And everyone always asks this right question. But but the truth is, ETH is up 73% from lows. At least it went up that high. Uh, ETH lows, if you recall, look at this, David. 897 mm-hmm. was the low. We got into mm. triple digits. We got like... That, that makes my $904 buy feel really good. <laughs> yeah. We just... Wow, you got one of those? I, I got a $904, yeah. Uh-huh. I hope it was a big one. You time, it, it, may have timed the bottom. But that was only a month ago, guys. Right. All right? And mm-hmm. now, of course, because price drives narrative, as we all know, price drives sentiment, as we all know, a bunch of people are asking, is the bear market over? Crypto is up. It must be over. Um, crypto market cap is over a trillion dollars. So that's one question. Mm-hmm. The other question is, well, um, it seems like ETH went up a whole lot more then Bitcoin this week yep. is news of the merge finally getting priced in. Let's take those questions one at a time. So first, bullish David, mm-hmm. is the bear market over? What what's the case for that? <laughs> what's the case? <laughs> whatever whatever you say, mm-hmm. I'll make the case for the opposite case. So why 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 don't you tell us about the bear market? I think it's actually worth going back and to the 2022 predictions uh, post that we made at Bankless. Um, I said my, one of my predictions uh, was that the, the the merge would happen in 2022 and that Ether will not be in a bear market about three to six months post-merge. As in like the, mer- the effects of the merge would cause not necessarily a bull market, but like we would be out of the bear market as a result of the merge. And you're starting to see that being priced in like right now. Like this is clearly and unequivocally, absolutely, the merge having a price impact on Ether, the asset today. 
Uh, we go for you like not very even in a bull market, even in a mania. It is not. It, it takes a lot for something to go up thirty percent in one week. It takes a lot more for something to go thirty up thirty percent in a bear market. Going on, and, but it's okay. Granted, we bottomed at nine hundred, and things generally bounce off of the bottom no matter what. So if that was the bottom, then you definitely get a bounce. But like a bounce up to like eleven hundred, twelve hundred is a good trade. What is that? Like thirty percent off the bottom. But we went thirty percent more up off the bottom up to where we are now at fifteen hundred dollars. Um, is the bear market over? Bear market is like, it's kind of a sentiment. Like you're only in a bear market if you feel like you're in a bear market. But I will say for, for me, Ryan, $1,500 does not feel like a bear market. Like that for, in the grand scheme of things, like $1,500 is actually pretty expensive. Like that's, that's, that's four digits. There's four digits in there. So I think what people are asking are, when we're in the bear market is, is this just a temporary blip up before we take another plunge down to new lows? That's really the big question. Are we gonna are we gonna hit new lows? And so you know, first of all, I'll you know, kind of address your, your question, your, your your thought about the merge being the ETH effect, the ETH price jump is because of the merge. I I completely agree with that actually, and I I don't think I've ever seen the market price in some fundamentals in the way that I saw that happen this week. Like the market is kind of, uh, to be honest, a short, short-term short dumb. Like it doesn't, uh, I guess because in this case, the merge as a fundamental is also a narrative. The, the market only kind of prices narratives. And so um, now we see, look at this difference, down from all-time high, we were at like 83% or something for ETH and set, you know, low 70 percentages for Bitcoin. ETH is just caught right back up. It's only 68% down from all-time high number and bitcoin is 67 percent down from all-time high and you can also see i mean look at this jump on the eth bitcoin ratio uh we're up like 22 percent on the ratio so relative to bitcoin eth has gone up 22 percent, and that has to be the merge so i'm with you on that i think the merge is starting to get priced in and it's just starting to get priced in all right so like maybe there's more to that to come, but let me give kind of the bear case of like why we may not have hit the bottom yet, David. And I, I think don't want to hear like, it. No, you got to hear this, okay? <laughs> and like I think some of the reasons that that um, you stated, you, you you make the argument for the for the bull case. But what scares me most probably is uh, macro, the macro setup. Right. right? We had Luke yeah, Grauman on the episode last week. He's the, the worst he's ever seen in his career. Um, we had uh, Travis Kling on earlier this week, and he talked about the macro setup and what happens if something breaks in the broader macro environment. Uh, the Fed raises rates too quickly, bond markets break. What's happening with the euro? What's happening with the yen now? Like everything in macro is feeling kind of shaky. And merge or not, if something breaks or something gets really shaky in macro, like we're going down. And we ain't seen the bottom yet, in my opinion. I don't think the the merge can save us if that is the setup and if that's what we go to. And I would also say, recall 2018, all right? We go go down 80%, something like this, and then we, we'd pop back up and everyone would be like, oh, it's over. That was the dip. I hope you bought the dip. Did you buy the dip? And then back down again and the plunge was even lower than the previous so this is also the nature of a recovery it's like a staggered recovery where you go up and you go down and you go up and you go down and it's like a staggered uh plunge as well on the way down we still might be in that staggered plunge area and um if if you were to ask me i'd still probably 
Hmm. I'm probably 50 50 on it, David. That's probably where I am. It's like both, both are kind of equal probabilities. One that we're done that we've hit the bottoms and the other that we've still got a ways to go. What do you think about this? Yeah, I think that's all a bunch of BS. I think we hit the bottom. <laughs> you ready to call it? You're buying in now? Um, I mean, okay, so like this falls into the same category that I see a lot of people doing. It's like, oh, let's let's like retrofit 2018 and apply it to 2022. And yeah, I mean, to some degree, like manias and bubbles and when when prices get out over their ski tips, it's all going back to the same pattern, which is like the human psyche. So like, yeah, of course it's going to repeat. It's the human psyche that is making like bubbles happen. Um, but that's actually different. This is quote unquote is different this time because of the actual merge. Like the merge is the most, it's the biggest catalyst in crypto ever. Like you would expect it to be different. And the whole point of it is that it is different. Uh, proof of Ethereum moving to proof of stake is unlike any other proof of stake network. The fundamentals behind Ether the asset are unlike any other fundamentals. And like, so like uh, this is, this is not just some like narrative. This actually, this, this is supposed to show up in the charts. Let me ask though, do you think it could overcome catastrophic macro? or very bad macro news? Macro? No, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that it will. However, also on our show with Grauman, we also painted the picture of like, okay, macro could break and everything could go to zero and that'd be bad. Things going to zero would be bad. Um, but also there's the inverse side where like there's like a needle to thread where like the Fed could turn on the money printer at the same time of the merge. And that's uber bullish. Yeah. And so I those actually, things cancel each other out. And so I think you just like don't consider that at all and just like take it for what it is. And, and I, what I see is the merge being priced in. You know, I actually think Arthur Hayes of BitMEX made the best case for that um, this yeah. week. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But uh, so guys, stay tuned. Anyway, this is the debate. And the market is absolutely having this debate. Uh, bear market or bull market, not too sure. But we do know that the merge is a positive catalyst. I rattled off the market cap numbers, but we're above a trillion now, aren't we? That's good news. Oh, hooray. <laughs> I feel like that's a pretty safe bull bear market line is $1 trillion market cap. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely a good meme line for sure. Uh, jumping to uh, this chart for a second. This was interesting. I saw this on Twitter this week. This is uh, Macro Elf. 200 years of inflation-adjusted returns for different asset classes. We're all dead in 200 years, but still quite interesting. And he's showing a chart of assets over time here, David. And this goes all the way back to the 1800s, right? So you kind of want to answer that question of everyone's asking, what is the best asset class to hold for the long run? Even though you know things go down, things go up, if you're a long-term investor, you want to know. And you look at this annualized return over 200 years. Stocks, 6.6%. Bonds, 3.6%. T-bills, 2.7%. Gold, 0.1%. US dollar, negative 1.4%. And I thought this was very interesting. I have a caveat to this and a very important caveat, but I want to get your reaction first. What do you think this is telling us? Well, my first thought is that if crypto was on this chart, its line would be like way higher than like 45 degrees. It would be like 50 or 60 degrees. Yeah, it's uh, invisible it would on be, this chart. It's you yeah, know, 10 years it, old. We don't, we don't, yeah, we did not have crypto in 1802. So, you know, but uh, like the annualized return of the crypto industry is it's something like 50% year over year, which is absolutely insane. And it's been like that ever since, uh, uh, you know, Bitcoin started in, in 2009. Uh, that's really the only thing that I thought about when I saw this chart. Do you know, I think the takeaways for many people in the traditional finance space are like, oh, this is why you should always hold stocks forever. Mm -hmm. And gold is such a scam. Like gold is 
Right. But but here here here's the problem with that. And by the way, everyone will agree holding fiat is a bad bad idea. Sucks. Right. Do you remember the Ray Dalio book um, that uh, we just read? Yeah. Um, Changing world orders. Changing world orders. Okay. Yeah. It's, this it's is the just title. It's close enough. This is just U.S. assets. All of these are U.S. Uh, assets, right. and the U.S. has massive survivorship bias in that it basically became the world empire in the last 200 mm-hmm. years and survived wars, all sorts of like macro events. This is like an example of a successful economy and empire. Go look at Germany or how many times did they like reset their currency? How many times did their stock market like go to zero? Basically go look at Russia, go look right. even at the UK and you have a vastly different picture. So I think it's a, a, a complete mistake for people to look at this, especially when we're we're dealing with a changing world order, right? Um, to to look at this and to say, oh, I should always hold all of my assets in U.S. stocks. This assumes a lot about the U.S.'s position of dominance in the future, and you might not want to make that assumption. And uh, anyway, it's just a fallacy I see when people throw up these charts because, like, if you were in Germany, for example, mm-hmm. you had no access. To, to stocks, Germany during like during one of the uh, intervening periods where the currency dropped to zero and you know stocks went to zero, etc. Then gold was like the best option for you, and so massive survivorship bias in this chart is what I see. Yeah, uh, to, for the viewer, you can just like imagine more or less like a, a wave, uh, and this is how Ray Dalio illustrates these things. Is like we're, we are stocks, bonds, bills, gold, not gold. Um, are riding the wave of the U.S. economy. And empires come and go. Uh, and so this can be like, in theory, could be like the peak of a, of a wave, right? And now we're on the decline. Um, you just have to broaden your horizons and sometimes realize that things in the global order, like they only change every like few hundred years. Uh, and so you have to, you have to take that into account in now. That wave. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. we're kind of in that in that phase. Um, speaking of which, mm-hmm. let's talk about the dollar. So the Dixie is still uh, crushing it. Super high. DXY is up. Um, I know we asked the question of what is it composed of. The DXY composed mm-hmm. of. We've got mm-hmm. a table of what it's composed of. Uh, so what's in the DXY index? Why is mm-hmm. it a measure of dollar strength, and what is it measuring dollar strength against? Yeah, 57% euros, 13.6% Japanese yen, 11.9% British pound, 9% Canadian dollar, and we got tiny little bits of the the Swedish corona, okay, uh, and the Swiss franc. Uh, and so, yeah, this is what the DXY measures against. It's the strength of the dollar against all of these things, but it's basically the euro, 60% the euro. Yeah, absolutely. So no wonder it is rising. Uh, and I think that uh, paints the picture and tees us up for Arthur Hayes' take this week. Um did you read this article, David? I haven't read this one, so you have to walk me through it. Oh, it's so good. Okay, so it's titled uh, A Samurai, A Knight, and a Yankee. Uh, can you guess who those characters are? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that is Japan, um, uh, British, Brit- Britain, and the United States. Did I yeah, get totally. right? Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, the, you know, the samurai, uh, samurai is the Japanese Central uh, Bank Authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, the knight is the Euros, uh, Christine Lagarde, and the Yankee is Jerome Powell. Anyway... He, he kind of walks through uh, them all kind of meeting in this um, in this inn and talking. Anyway, that, uh, that's, his, that's his narrative tee up. But the summary of this article, uh, I'll, I'll read a quote from it. Um, Arthur Hayes says, I will argue that the only solution left for any governments of countries that are not productive is to pay back their debt loads by inflating them away. Any country that is not productive has to pay off its debt load by inflating it away. 
All right. And he goes through the reasons why the U.S. is not nearly as productive as it once was uh, for every dollar the government spends. Neither is Europe. Neither is Japan. And so they're, they're stuck in this position of having to inflate their debt away. Similar themes we talked about with Lynn Alden, similar themes with Luke Grom and all of our macro podcasts, uh, and of course, uh, Ray Dalio. But then he goes into the, the setup right now, the macro setup right now. Uh, and so his first piece is Europe and Japan, all right? From an energy perspective, they're in a bad place because they basically import all of their energy from other countries. They don't have much internal energy production. The U.S. is in a different place from an energy perspective in that the U.S. has a lot of its own natural resources. It's a net exporter, particularly natural gas is a strength. And then he goes through the problem with uh, what the EU and Japan are doing is they're inflating their currency. They're effectively going into like yield curve control mode and they're inflating it against energy. So they're issuing more of it. And this is causing massive inflation for their people. This is like a Weimar Republic type of play. Um, and I know Luke Grauman had talked about this, but they can't get cheap energy from Russia because the war in Ukraine, the US doesn't want them to. And so they're stuck in this rock in a hard place between their population is clamoring for like lower prices on all of their consumer products, specifically energy and food and some others. And yet they can't release the pressure due to like geopol geopolitics. The US doesn't want them to, maybe to some degree. Uh, they don't want to as well. So what's going to happen is the DXY is going to continue to rise. The dollar is going to continue to get, get stronger relative to those currencies. We just talked about that basket of currencies. And inflation in Europe and Japan will continue to rise until there's a breaking point and the population says enough is enough. But the problem for Japan and for Europe is, do they go back to Russia and try to get some cheaper energy, right? And like, the US doesn't want them to do that. Mm -hmm. And so maybe the US says no, there's some political tensions, uh, but they can't stay in their current state of continuing to inflate their currencies uh, against energy and against the dollar. So what do they do? They have to go to the Yankee. They have to go to Jerome Powell, the US government. They have to go to Treasury. And they have to say, hey, you guys have to help us. If you want us to continue sanction this hard, you guys have to help us out. And so what Powell, what Treasury is going to have to end up doing is going and buying bonds, buying Japanese bonds, buying euro bonds, and effectively devaluing the dollar relative to these currencies, making these currencies stronger, okay? What that's going to do is massively inflate the balance sheet of the Fed. Now, not only with, you know, U.S. debt uh, and U.S. Uh, bond debt, but also other sovereign countries' debt, particularly its allies. That is kind of the way out. And so what Arthur predicts is going to happen is, on the one hand, Powell is going to say, yeah, we're, we're trying to crush inflation. We're, we're you know, uh, going hawkish on this. We're increasing interest rates by like 0.75%. Yet again, we'll continue doing it. We're going to break the back of inflation. I am Paul Volcker reincarnated. Watch me do this. And on the other hand, he expects behind the scenes, like Treasury and the US government to actually be being issuing more currency in order to buy the bonds of its allies. Mm. Okay? That's the backdrop mm. here. If you play this out, that's what Arthur is, is predicting. 
But what this means, David, net-net, is probably very bullish for cryptocurrency, particularly Ether, particularly Bitcoin. Because whenever the money printer turns on, that's when these assets climb. That is the correlation that's been preserved from the beginning. And right now we're in this phase of money printers off right now, temporarily. There's some quantitative tightening going on. But Arthur predicts that it's going to have to be turned back on in order to bail out US allies. And once that happens, crypto will resume its ascent and take off. So that's the thesis. And to me, it kind of, um, it's kind of an aggregation and consolidation of much of the macro discussion we've right. been having on Bankless. And uh, I think it's a pretty reasonable prediction. Yeah, and that maps onto just like the general thesis that uh, a lot of just, uh, I would say, Bitcoiners have in, in, about the state of fiat currencies in nation states is that you end up in debt and sure, there's volatility, sure, you have bear markets, but the long-term conclusion of the US dollar is to like inflate away to zero and all fiat currencies inflate away to zero. And in that world, it's just like bullish for like all assets. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's talk about another uh, blue chip or another question that we have, which is, um, is DeFi back. All right. So, yeah. so some DeFi blue chips. I'm ready have been to be climbing. heard again. <laughs> Are you ready to be heard again? DeFi <laughs> blue chips have been climbing. So, particularly Ave looking good, Uni looking mm-hmm. good, MKR also looking good. Uh, and they've been climbing even relative to ETH lately. I know we have a mm. chart up here. What are we looking at, David? Yeah, that's the ETH DPI chart uh, since Genesis back in October of 2020. Uh, and in ETH terms, it's like down only, uh, but it's been up since May. Uh, and refresh so people, what is, what is DPI, David? Yeah, DPI is a DeFi Pulse Index. It's just an index of a lot of DeFi tokens. Uh, and so I, I think Aave, Uniswap is like the biggest one, but there's, of course, there's Maker, Aave, uh, SushiSwap's in there, a few, a few other ones. It's the blue um, chips. Just like all, all the DeFi blue chips, right? Uh, and we've talked about the DPI before, uh, but we stopped re-including it in the weekly roll-up because like every single week it was like it down. Sad. And, and yeah, there was no news. It was just like, yeah, it's just <laughs> down all the time. Um, but not not in the last month or so. Ever since May, uh, it's been a little bit up. Uh, so the ETH uh, to DPI ratio was about 0.04. Uh, we are currently at 0.062, which is a healthy in, uh, percentage increase. Uh, it topped out in the local high in the, at the beginning of January at around 0.075. But Ryan, we're still down very bigly versus ETH because it started like in 2021 at about 0.26. Uh, so one quarter of an ETH was one DPI, but now it's just 0.06 of an ETH is one DPI. But we know that DeFi protocols are super bullish because they keep on earning all the fees. Uh, and so you can see on, on crypto fees, just like there are meaningful days where uh, synthetics and Uniswap are beating Bitcoin in daily fees. Uh, and and so uh, this in this particular day with this screenshot, synthetics was behind Bitcoin, but synthetics is uh, from, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, m- earning more fees than Bitcoin most of the time. Uh, and that is a lot of fees. Uniswap just sweeping the floor of absolutely everything, getting more f- protocol fees than Ethereum is, which is nuts. Uh, and so like, yeah, like DeFi tokens are down bad, but they're all just like one fee swap, fee switch away from just like earning a ton of money. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and David, I know we've got some content coming on Bankless on how to fix the economics mm-hmm. and the governance mm-hmm. of these DeFi tokens, because I feel like we've got product market fit. We've got like successful protocols generating millions of in cash. Now we just got to figure out that fee switch component. And then we're off to the races with DeFi tokens. And I expect like much more of a recovery. Uniswap made $4.6 million in one day on the protocol. That is nuts. Yep. 
One four point six million dollars a day. Pretty much all profit too. It's yeah. like yeah. not a lot tell of me operating expenses. Tell me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> tell them to tune into the roll up tomorrow, and they'll understand why you're yelling. I saw this chart this week on, on Twitter, so I, I thought about including it. It's a an analysis on uh, an Ethereum address. What do they do first on Ethereum? Do they do a Dex trade or do they buy an NFT? Uh, and the Dex trade used to be in the lead uh, for the majority of 2021, but it looks pretty clear that the recent trend is your first activity is more likely to be buying an NFT than it is interacting with a decentralized exchange. Um, I mean, we kind of know this. NFTs are for everyone. There's always an NFT out there for you, no matter what. Uh, if you haven't found, if you don't like NFTs, you just haven't found that one yet. Um, and, and DeFi exchange stuff, not necessarily for everyone. You know, NFT is about the culture, and, and DeFi is about finance. Do you think we can just extrapolate this and like? NFT is going to continue to lead DeFi as the way people access the space for the first time. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I mean, um, Andrew Steinwald said it right. Like ERC-20 tokens or currencies are meant to value stuff. They're a measurement of stuff, but NFTs are the stuff. So like, yeah, there's going to be a bajillion NFTs and only a handful of ERC-20 tokens that are like sustainable. I guess in the real world, there is much more non-fungible property than there is fungible right. property. So that kind of maps right. to the, the bits map to the atoms in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have noticed, David, by the way, that um, you know the blue chip NFTs seem to be doing okay. Like they seem to mm-hmm. be holding up relative to, to ETH. I think the CryptoPunk uh, floor is like 80 right now, 80, 80. ETH, something 80 like ETH. that. Feels good. That's, it's not good. too bad relative to ETH. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Relative to fiat, it's, it's down pretty bad. And like the ape floor is holding. It's like in the 90s, yep. something like this. Yep. So the blue chip NFTs, you would, I think some people would have expected them to like really get crushed in ETH right. terms, and they just haven't. Well, yeah, because you can't, well, first you can't take leverage on NFTs, so they're immune from that. But also like if you're in a pinch, you can't really sell an NFT in a pinch. So you, people don't, like people are kind of like buy it and hold it for life. That's a really interesting take. Yeah, I guess I guess they're not uh, they're not selling. Maybe they're not for sellers too. Maybe it's a different right. type of yeah. uh, individual right. holder. What do we got coming Although up? You next? will be you will be able to leverage up on NFTs later. That is a financial oh, yeah, innovation coming. that is definitely coming, <laughs> and that's going to unlock some absolute degeneracy in this industry. Guys, coming up next, we're going to talk about merge dates. Has the merge been, merge date been announced? Maybe, kind of, not really, Maybe. but it's getting close. <laughs> Maybe we're going to talk about that. Also, uh, it seems clear that it's ZK roll-up season, but the big question is who's going to be first to market with the first ZK EVM roll-up? That is mm-hmm. Ethereum equivalency. And also we're going to talk about the three errors capital. Uh, again, the saga continues. More again. important documents released. We're going to dive into what all of that means. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. The merge is coming. The merge is coming. Ryan, the merge is coming. We kind of have a date, maybe, question mark. Um, it is It is a actual date, but also with a question mark. It's a maybe date. Uh, we are thinking about the 19th of September for the merge. And so here is Superfiz, who pays attention to these things, his tentative timeline. Uh, this is also Tim coming out of the Alcor Devs call. Okay, so the uh, Gorley testnet gets merged on the 11th of August, uh, and we are live streaming that on Bankless, so tune in for that. Uh, and if that goes well, uh, the all-core devs call after that, I believe on the 18th, we'll plan the next merge. Uh, and uh, that will uh, tr- trigger like the Bellatrix and uh, um, that other name of that testnet that I can't remember. Uh, that whole like client re- will get released, all those the client software that I don't really know the name, I can't really remember. Go watch the episode with Tim Bako if you want those details. Uh, that'll happen two weeks after the August Gorley merge, and then we will merge two weeks after that. So... 
August 18th is the all-core devs call to pay attention to, uh, but it is tentatively looking like possibly September 19th, two weeks after that call. Again, this is not official. This is speculation, but the the dates are becoming more and more clear. Um, everyone is super hungry for this, including the developers. So merge, date, question mark? Yeah, that's it. And so you'll find out more. We'll know more after the August mm. 18th. Uh, whether the Gourley testnet was successful or, or failed. The previous dress rehearsals have been successes. Right. You kind of expect right. this yeah. one to be. And if it is successful, I've heard people, the hell presses of the world, talk about the merge probability as as high as 95% in September. In September, yeah. So this if is Gourley the next is key yeah. event, and we'll know much more mm-hmm. in the next two to three weeks about this. So, so uh, obviously the, the whole entire industry has their eyes on the ETH price because of the merge. But like, if you really want to lean, lean into this, like, there's plenty of derivative tokens that are going to have plenty of merge exposure. Um, Lido and Rocket Pool being the obvious ones, but there are also some extremely undervalued staking as a service tokens that are out there. Uh, we are actually going to be doing an article on this on Bankless. Uh, but if you want to do your own research and get ahead of the game, there's your alpha. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, alpha, go subscribe to the Bankless newsletter if you're just a podcast listener, right. so you get this stuff in your yeah. inbox. Um, all right. Also, let's talk about the second thing, which is it feels like ZK roll-up season. It feels like mm-hmm. all of the roll-ups mm-hmm. are competing for us as Ethereum users. And I got to tell you, that feels good. The big question, I think, is who gets to claim the release of the first ZK EVM? That is a fully Ethereum-compatible EVM chain in a ZK roll-up. And uh, before we read out this tweet, David... Can you just give people some context on why are ZK rollups so cool? What's awesome. neat about them? <laughs> and like, I know right. people have probably heard us talk about rollups a lot mm-hmm. in layer two and the scalability strategy, but let, let's get beyond that. Rollups right. are the way Ethereum scales. We know that. Why are ZK rollups special specifically? And why within that are ZK EVM rollups special? Okay, quick. Quick uh, roll-up uh, TLDR speed run. Uh, we got optimistic roll-ups, and optimistic roll-ups are secured by, like, there is potentially, say that, say that there's an imposter in the building, uh, and if you find the imposter, you can go and you find them and then kick them out, and then you have this, like, assurance that you can kick them out uh, of the building that you don't want the imposter in. But the imposter can get in the building in the first place, and you have to go and, like, do the thing to kick them out. A ZK roll-up is secured by, like, no, you can't even, an imposter can't even enter the building, uh, which is kind of an interesting metaphor. Another way to describe this is optimistic roll-ups, uh, you know, they're a blockchain that bundle up a bunch of transactions and settle it down to the, the layer one. ZK roll-ups uh, are uh, another layer of compression. So it's basically uh, compressing everything by putting into one bundle, but then the ZK side of things is, like, another cryptographic compression on top of that. So we're aggregating a bunch of transactions, compressing that, and that gets put down to the Ethereum layer one. So the combination of uh, the security model of ZK rollups, which uh, means that like you don't have to wait. Uh, like for example, like the outbound bridge out of Arbitrum and Optimism takes seven days for your for your Ether or other tokens to clear. Because they want to make bridges. sure the security guards can go find right. the bad guys exactly. in the buildings. Right, exactly. Uh, and so that has some cost to it. Uh, and then there's ZK rollups, which because of that security model. All transactions are instantly f- have instant finality, uh, and so that makes them faster and cheaper. Uh, but they also makes them less 
expressive. So this is why we have had uh, Stark X's, which is like more proprietary app layer chains like DYDX, which is now moving over to Cosmos, but still in the Stark X ecosystem. Uh, there's also Immutable X, which is a Stark X chain. These are all proprietary, like custom built ZK chains for this, these specific use cases, which brings us into the concept of ZK EVMs, which is a generalizable ZK rollup, which is so like we have Optimism and Arbitrum, which are super generalizable. They're just like Ethereum. They can do solidity. They have the virtual machine. You can write an arbitrary code. You can build whatever. Uh, with ZKs up to this point, you haven't been able to do that. You would have to custom build your own chain, and it would be a ZK rollup. Uh, and with the ZK EVM, we are bringing customizability and expressivity to the power of zero-knowledge cryptography, zero-knowledge rollups. And we generally conclude, everyone says, even Vitalik, especially Vitalik, he's the one that says this, actually, uh, is that we long-term conclude in a world of ZK rollups. It doesn't even matter if we're talking about Ethereum. Like, Cosmos will eventually be a ZK ecosystem. Uh, Avalanche, if they get it right, they'll do be a ZK ecosystem. Even Solana, the optimistic rollups will probably Even the optimistic rollups will eventually ZK become ZK yeah. rollups. And that is an explicit strategy stated out of optimism themselves. So everyone's going ZK at the end of the day, and so this is why the fight for the first ZK EVM is such a big deal, uh, because you have the best sort of scaling compression technology in the world mixed with the EVM, the biggest uh, you know, uh, tech stack of smart contracting languages. Uh, and so the ZK EVM is a huge fight, and so that's this is where we'll get into this tweet that we're showing on screen where John Adler says, congrats to Scroll, Polygon, and ZK Sing for each announcing the first ZK, <laughs> ZK EVM because it all happened this week. Um, I do think that, I, I could be wrong on this, I'm pr but I might, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Uh, I do think the credit goes to ZK Sync. I think they had like this stuff out like a year ago. Um, yeah, I'll, I will say that. Um, yeah. But the, the, the Twitter army can fact check me on that one. I, I don't even, you know, I don't even know who's first. What, what I love to mm -hmm. see though is like um, them competing to be first. Right. It's so right, right, right. good to see because they it's are also all, so nerdy. <laughs> it's so nerdy, but they're, they're competing for Ethereum users and they're all competing to scale Ethereum. This goes back to like the, the strategy of Ethereum, which is kind of genius retrospectively, which is to like basically outsource um, its scalability to a massive number of teams and companies. And so they can expand all at once in like multiple directions, right? It's almost like, reminds me of kind of like some kind of a, um, a an organism, like, you know, a, a, a right. fungus or something, or it's some kind of a spore that's just like simultaneously expanding in this decentralized way in all of these right. different directions. And you can really see the genius of it because it's brought competitors to play. And so let's mm -hmm. go through each of these one by one, David, because I think it's worth talking about. So Polygon uh, released this week a its ZK EVM solution. So of course, Polygon mm -hmm. has its proof of stake chain, but they also acquired a technology called Hermes. And they did that about a year ago, if I'm recalling correctly. Right. And Hermes had a whole bunch of ZK EVM tech already built. And now they are taking that, repackaging that under Polygon, getting kind of the Polygon business development effect and rollout mm -hmm. marketing around it and launching that. And apparently what they're launching is something that they say is EVM equivalent, which we could talk mm -hmm. about that. Um, it's open source. It fully uses Ethereum, of course, it's its layer one, and it's an implement implementation only. So they got the GitHub, right. they have the code, it's an implementation, not testnet yet, okay? They didn't right. announce a testnet, right. they said that that is going to be next, but they're not at the testnet phase. But this, I think, is pretty big news because it's Polygon, and Polygon, mm -hmm. I mean, we've been talking about the last few rollups, has onboarded 
so many different uh, like companies and solutions. Mm-hmm. Like their business development arm is absolutely humming. So that is yeah. the first uh, solution: is Polygon zk EVM, uh, maybe EVM equivalent. I'm not actually sure, yeah. like how equivalent it is versus compatible. These are two terms that we're going to talk about. Uh, what is the difference between EVM equivalent and compatible, David? Or is this something that we have to just do more research on to to figure the differences out? Uh, I I understand it actually pretty well at a conceptual level. It's the the nuance, the the more detailed stuff that I don't understand. Basically, the EV, the EVM isn't one thing. Like it, it's not like something that you can point to. It's like a set of standards. And so, like, there is an EVM tech stack that includes many, many different things. Uh, and at some point in that tech stack, you can fork away from the EVM and then do something different on all parts, uh, all things above the stack that you forked away from. So, like, think of it as, like, a, a multi-layered cake. Uh, and, like, you can fork away from the EVM standard at the top and be mostly EVM com- uh, equivalent but not completely. Or you can fork away something at the very, very, like, bottom and be very, very divergent from the EVM but only be a little bit like the v- EVM. And why does it even matter? Right. And so there is an entire ecosystem of, like, dev tooling is, is the big one. Um, uh, and this is, this is where I'll, I'll start to get stressed uh, in my knowledge. But, like, dev tooling, like, solidity, like, compilers, like technical speak, technical speak, technical speak. But there's a bunch of just like peripheral infrastructure that is all built around the EVM. And so being completely EVM equivalent rather than just mere EVM compatibility also unlocks the complete suite of infrastructure and compatibility of all the dev dev tooling and and surrounding, like again, infrastructure that has been built around this EVM standard. Uh, And so if you are EVM equivalent, you will like ride in the tailwinds of all of this open source development. Uh, And so if you are, if you fork off of the EVM uh, standard too soon, you like are going solo and you have to build your way where like you like think about like a Peloton, right? Like a bicycle line of bicycles, uh, super efficient if the bigger group it is. But if you fork away, you're kind of going on your own. You, it's like it's more headwinds, although you can like do it for very good reason. Uh, the EVM is by no means like a perfect set of technology. It's just the set that we have. Uh, and so you can, you know, go solo and do it for the right reasons and like, you know, just build super like uh, a highly optimized thing. Um, but then you also just lose the drafting speed of complete. And this EVM, is this uh, is the point of equivalence and also compatibilities. You take all the stuff that's been built on the EVM and you have the ability to just port it, port it with minimal work. In some cases, zero work. You could take all the Uniswap code, all the Aave code, everything in DeFi, everything in NFTs, and it just works out of the box. That is the point of all of this EVM compatibility and equivalency. Um, talk about the second one, zk sync. So yeah. they've just also announced something this week, and their take on a, a ZK Sync, ZK EVM. What uh, mm-hmm. what did they say? Yeah, they're doing the same thing that Polygon uh, did. They say today we're happy to announce ZK Sync 2.0. The first ZK EVM rollup will be live on Mainnet in 100 days. That is about the same roadmap as Polygon. <laughs> and, and so um, um, I was actually, I had uh, in my very many uh, set of interviews that I've done at ECC, Mihalo was one of them where we talked about this. Uh, and, Mahalo from uh, Polygon. And so he, from Mahalo from Polygon. I also also talked to Alex from ZK Sync uh, yesterday as well. Uh, we were talking about some of this stuff. Um, everyone's like, again, the timing of this is just so funny. Everyone's about on the same timeline with like. Well, they're, the they're rushing. EVM. It's a it's a, a right. roll up race basically. 
Right. Yeah. Big time. Now, um, one difference yeah, though this is, is this um, is going to unlock some some cool stuff. ZK ZK Sync, I believe, they've had a testnet for a while. I mean, to your the point yes. you made earlier, yes. and I don't think Polygon uh, ZK EVM has had a testnet yet, mm-hmm. and they don't as right. yet. Correct. Yeah. But, so and, yeah, and you, they're you throwing down dates, David. Hundred mm-hmm. days to to mainnet. I don't think I don't right. think scroll. That is or, a specific number. That's a specific number. We'll be counting this down. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that would be great. And. It's a mm-hmm. similar solution, right? I mean, what are the? Sim- I mean, we should probably do a whole episode on yeah, we're the differences between these things. All the all these zk EVM competitors. Let's just put them all in the same Zoom and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, we'll just ask questions yeah. of them and let's yeah. kind of see what happens. Okay, mm-hmm. now here's so the who's third. who's going to be first, guys? <laughs> yeah, here's the third that announced. So this is um, the third is scroll. Uh, mm-hmm. This is, I'll read the tweet. After over a year of building our ZK EVM based ZK rollup in close collaboration mm-hmm. with the privacy scaling group at the Ethereum Foundation, little flex there, we are releasing the pre alpha version of Scroll for external testers. Okay, so they have something that sounds similar to Polygon, but they're calling it a pre alpha version. Seems like there needs to be a testnet still before we get to, mm-hmm. to mainnet. But again, you know, order of magnitude around the same timeline as these two other ZK rollup solutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, Ryan, the, watching Arbitrum and Optimism like have their like competition, that's been fun. Uh, the ZK EVM competition is gonna be so fun. <laughs> yeah, and I, as, as a media person, I'm just gonna sit back with my popcorn, it's gonna be great. Yeah, it's it's gonna be great, and like, uh, as David and I have said before, like, we want, we love all of our children equally. Like, uh, we, we are very excited about this uh, all of these technologies are maximally decentralized technologies, right? Mm-hmm. That are prioritizing mm-hmm. security and decentralization. If they are designing a ZKM, uh, a ZK rollup correctly, that's what they're doing. So they're scaling the values that we care about most, which are decentralized bankless values. And so wow. we're cheering all of you guys on. Well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, keep keep running in this race. Uh, the- I hope you each win. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, David, let's get to the three hours capital. Yeah. More CFI drama on the way. Mm-hmm. This time, I think the leading news is um, there was an affidavit that was released. Mm-hmm. Remember, we talked about so much, all of this would be settled in court documents. This is right. like a thousand page right. court document that, yeah, like, people, that does not scream efficiency to me, Ryan. No, it does not. I mean, this is not written on chain anywhere. It's <laughs> like, 1,157 pages of oh legal God. docs Imagine how who's much, gonna read that how not much me. money did it cost like ignore kind of the oh, court yeah. system and all of the infrastructure but like just to create a document like this and gather all these facts anyway we've learned some things from it one of the things mm-hmm. we learned is that the crypto lender genesis which is an absolutely massive crypto otc firm they lent mm-hmm. three euros capital 2.36 billion dollars <laughs> that's a lot david who if somebody, if you have a bajillion dollars, but and somebody comes knocking at your door and says, "Hey, can I borrow two point three billion dollars?" I don't think there's. I'm not in this business, so what do I know? But you, I don't feel like you say yes to that question. You don't lend two point two point three billion dollars. Well, it's cl- who needs no one who needs who needs two point three billion dollars is in a good spot. <laughs> Well, it's collateralized, right? So there's a portion of risk oh. that's removed because it's collateralized. Um, its loans, the Genesis loans, three O's capital had a margin requirement of over eighty percent, and oh, okay. it did sell good. some of the collateral when three O's capital failed to maintain that. But you definitely get the sense that there's a, a delta, and I'm not sure if the the numbers are named here of how much three O's capital actually owns Genesis. I'm pretty sure Genesis is going to be fine. 
Um, they're absolutely mm-hmm. massive. I think they had yeah. better risk management, certainly yeah. than the Celsiuses of the world. But uh, I'm sure this also still hurts, and that is why they they're they're more junior to the DeFi protocols. Let me say that Three Rose Capital had to pay yeah. back all of its, as did Celsius, as did Block, all of the DeFi protocols. But uh, it looks like they're still out some money here, David. So it's kind of a yeah. So. I just did the math. Uh, 80% of $2.36 billion is $472 million. They probably got less than that. So they're probably at least $400 million in the hole. Um, that's more money than I have. That's painful, right? I think all of yeah. CFI is learning about um, risk yeah. management again. And I think they'll be much more cautious moving forward. At least you, ho- you hope so. Yeah. But we don't know. We don't know for sure. Um, mm-hmm. This is another one. Three hours capital total. They uh, yeah. they owe their creditors at least three point five billion dollars. I would love to see a leaderboard, a high scoreboard of who got hurt by Three Rose Capital the most. Like <laughs> the this pain is, board? I think this is number one. I'm pretty sure the pain dashboard. Oh wait, uh, Voyager. Oh well, this yeah, is so everybody, got, David. These, the three point five billion. Yeah, this is, is everybody, everybody, right? And so like um, they they like uh, Voyagers up there, oh, yeah. pretty high up there at six hundred and sixty million. Uh, I think this comes in at number two, at, like roughly four hundred, four hundred fifty million. I would just love to see that list of just like you know the the, the, the all the the contagion the list, meter? if you will. Celsius is on yeah. there, 75 mm-hmm. million. Of course, Celsius now yeah. defunct and coinless services. Right. A lot of this is, right. man, a lot of this is retail money uh, yeah. is is the tragedy of it. Yeah, um, I always I always forget that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, and this is sad. Yeah, it is sad. It is sad. Um, we'll talk about Celsius in a little bit. But like the audacity of this, here's another headline for you, David. Suzu, mm-hmm. Three Arrows Capital, the co-founder, he just filed a $5 million claim against his own firm while he's on the run. Okay. I feel like uh, they should just like, yeah, sure, you can have your money. Come get it inside the United States of America. <laughs> we'll give it to you. We'll, we'll give it to you over you. here. <laughs> That's waiting for you here inside the U.S. Here's the quote. <laughs> I've just seen uh, the list of creditors to Three Hours Capital and noticed that Suzu has filed a claim for $5 million. <laughs> well, being on the run, he has somehow found the time to diligently and ruthlessly fill out forms to pursue a claim against his own fund. Well, <laughs> you find time for that, Suzu, but uh, yeah, not to not to tell us what's going on with uh, Three Hours Capital. Sue, come on the podcast. Oh God, <laughs> what would we even say? Um, oh, oh, I've got some thoughts. Celsius. This is going back mm-hmm. to Celsius and some of that retail money, but uh, we have some new news as to what the gap might be. Looks like Celsius has a one point two billion dollar balance sheet hole. Okay, that's the size of Oof. the bullet wound. It's just a one point two billion dollar fund. Uh, yeah, a whole and that they have um let's see celsius has 5.5 billion in liabilities that's the bad stuff and 4.3 billion dollars in assets so you can see where we get the delta of 1.2 billion dollars um yeah yeah kind of painful and Oof. again retail will be one of the 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 uh debtors essentially that mm. bankruptcy has to pay back but it just matters in order of operation where they fall, right? So like more yeah. senior debt holders to Celsius could be far above them and get their $1.2 billion back before retail does. So I don't know, yeah. David, what the status of my Celsius account is. Am I uh, 100% down or only only like... Fifty percent down, and uh, I guess we'll see in the court documents. I think you get like I think you get like seventy to eighty percent back. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, in like a year. What's so interesting is like, again, I don't have to like, but DeFi has not had this problem. 
uh, whatsoever. Like we're going to watch this play out over weeks and months and years as we have in the roll-ups. I'm, I'm, I'm already almost mm-hmm. sick of talking about it. It's just, right. Oh, we're talking about it next week. All right. Like, but like DeFi just happens so quickly and everything's on chain. Mm-hmm. Like all of the pain is over basically instantly. 24 hours. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go to courts. Yeah. We don't have to have thousand page documents. That in itself is uh, a beautiful thing and certainly much more time efficient. Uh, what, what else we got in the roll up, David? What do we talk about? All right, coming up next in the second half of the show, the ENS markets continue to be super hot. Uh, somebody accidentally uh, bought something for 100 ETH and they didn't mean to, an ENS named Jesus.eth. We'll go into that. That's a fun little story. Also, what exactly backs a USDC? Now we know. Now we know. And also, there's a new token coming. It's a bridge token. But I'm not going to say which because I'm going to tell you as soon as we get back from some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. And we're back. Jeremy Allaire tweets out. Jeremy Allaire of Circle, who runs USCC, says, As a part of our commitment to increasing transparency and disclosure around USCC, today we are publishing our first monthly breakdown of the USCC Treasury Reserve assets by each and every Treasury bond and list of cash reserve custodians. They even have something, Ryan, called the CUSIP, which sounds like a serial number for our particular Treasury or something. So they're down to the serial numbers of their assets and the vol- and the value. So like this is the most amount of disclosure that I've ever seen any any bank or any financial institution. Nice job, Circle. Well done. Well yeah, done. Yeah, it's great. And so so what is backing your USDC? Well, it's almost all U.S. Treasuries. Mm-hmm. So 42 million of the 55 is Treasuries, and the other 13 million is cash in the bank in actual bank accounts. That's what's backing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mostly Treasuries. And then some dollars in a bank account. So that's pretty much digital bank account dollars. It's pretty much your Wells Fargo dollars, some treasury, mm-hmm. except tokenized. Isn't, that's what a USDC is. Aren't treasuries bullish in high interest rates? So isn't interest rates going up good for the USDC business model? Uh, I think that's I mean, right. Tre- tre- treasuries, well, I don't know. Well, I mean, the interest rate is really the, the treasury yield, right? So what's right. the interest rate? Like 1.75, something like this. Right. So it's... A little bit, it provides a slightly higher return than pure cash. Right. But I mean, I guess that could go up. They could, I mean, it's pretty much a dollar though. It's just right. like when you put, you know, your funds in a uh, Wells Fargo account right. or, a, you know, um, it's called a, a certificate of deposit or something like that. That's ultimately on the other side going to treasuries, generating some nominal yield, kind of like that. Okay. It's a savings account. It's a, it's a bank account. It's a, a bank dollar. What about Ave, David? They're doing something with Balancer, a token swap. What is this? Yeah, they did a DAO token swap. Ave Balancer token swap proposal was passed and also has been executed. So about $1.1 million worth of Ave was swapped for about $1.5 million worth of Balancer. I don't know why they had a discrepancy, maybe just a, a liquidity premium. So now Ave owns some Pal and Bal owns some Ave. We did a show with them forever ago uh, about how uh, Balancer would use Ave in the back end to increase the yield for a lot of the assets deposited into Balancer LPs, uh, and that goes into Aave. Uh, and so the, this partnership has been long and strong, and now there's a formal token swap. Why do they do this? Just to cement their friendship? Yeah, yeah. It's a DAO handshake. It's, yeah, we're just we're now more aligned than we were previous right. to this token yep. swap. Yep. Uh, it's interesting. Cool. Um, Curve is also announcing, or, or there's rumor that Curve is going to be releasing a stable coin, mm-hmm. CRV US dollar. Do you know anything about this rumor? I saw this tweet 
is worth talking about, but I haven't seen I don't, anything. I don't know much yet. about this rumor, but uh, we had we had the phone releases, then we had the zk EVM releases, and then Ave released a stablecoin, a decentralized stablecoin, then Curve released a decentralized stablecoin. Uh, some really cool developments coming out. Uh, I would love to cover this when the details are out. Let's get into the NFT scene right now. Um, first, some bad news. OpenSea mm-hmm. lays off roughly 20% of its staff. And this is uh, Devin Finzer. Uh, he cites unprecedented combination of crypto winter and bra- uh, broad macroeconomic instability. Have you heard anything about this, David? I know a lot of crypto companies are, are laying people off Coinbase, block right. f- obviously BlockFi, but <laughs> many of them. Is this just another... Yeah, it's just like the the big entrenched people. Uh, I guess I wouldn't call OpenSea too entrenched, but like the bigger players seem to be laying people off, and the smaller people, the smaller players seem to be scooping people up. Um, so I'm I'm sure these people are just hopping into another job, another Absolutely. another crypto job. Also in NFT news, Kevin Rose, his proof project has just acquired an Ethereum NFT team called Divergence. Looks like this is kind of an Aqua hire, engineering Aqua hire. But Kevin and Proof definitely have big plans to expand. Moonbird's ecosystem, the proof mm-hmm. ecosystem into a social universe. And David, we had uh, Kevin on the podcast a couple of months ago, and he basically dropped the game plan right. to us right. of how to actually do this. Right. How every any creator can kind of, with a little bit of this and a little bit of that, create a uh, NFT community, membership driven community for their um, for their fans. Mm-hmm. And so he, he already gave us the blueprint. Now it looks like he's going a few more steps down it. I'm mm-hmm. really excited about um, what he's doing because I think it's paving the way for many others to follow. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He, he said he was very committed into seeing this thing. Uh, he was fully committed to this whole thing. And like it definitely has shown up in, in stuff like this. Um, the proof ecosystem, like you said, uh, kind of just got giving people a blueprint to do similar things. Yes, I hope they do. Uh, I think... I think we are learning some lessons from it as well, David. We are. Um, we are. In bad NFT news, though, uh, did you see, David, Minecraft just issued a ban mm. on NFTs in its game? And of course, Minecraft is a infinitely moddable type of ecosystem and, and probably the biggest and most well-known virtual worlds out there. Um, but I want to give you the reason why, because I was very curious as to, like, why would Minecraft do this? Like, what are their stated reasons And I think this is a reason I haven't um, heard quite articulated this way. But let me read it from their notice where they they said uh, NFTs are now banned from Minecraft. Each of these uses of NFTs and other blockchain technologies creates digital ownership based on scarcity and exclusion. Scarcity and exclusion, which does not align with Minecraft values of creative inclusion and playing together. NFTs are not inclusive of all our community and create a scenario of the haves and the haves nots. The speculative pricing and the investment mentality around NFTs takes the focus away from playing the game and encourages encourages profiteering, which we think is inconsistent with the long-term joy and success of our players. I gotta admit, when you read that, it is a reasonable take at the high level in that it's like values-based, it's not just, it's not just like NFTs are like bad, yeah, and right. they never work, and they're just a bunch of scams, and they're always <laughs> stupid. It's it doesn't align with our values. We want our economy to be basically completely free, purely open source. We don't want digital property rights in the Minecraft universe. We want everything to be copy and paste. We don't want digital scarcity. Like at the very bottom, found. So, what do you think of this argument? Because I think it's an interesting, like philosophical argument for games when you do right. inject 
private ownership of digital property, it does change the dynamics of a virtual world. Certainly. And it definitely is reflective of the last like two years of NFTs. But uh, we have to remember that NFTs are just a token standard. It's the people that are like choose to manifest those NFTs in a particular way. So it's the people that are creating ex- uh, scarcity and ex- ex- exclusion. And that is a definitely a downstream byproduct of a bull market mania where prices go up. NFTs do not have scarcity and inclusion built into them at the protocol level. Like, yeah, like only one person can own a token, but we can still mint infinite NFTs. Uh, And so there are plenty of ways where NFTs can be consistent with the values of Minecraft. You would just have to build it that way. Uh, And right now, like NFTs have this branding of scarcity and exclusion. So it's really just going to take some more open minded game to really have success with integrating NFTs to really change the minds of people because people are just scarred like the external world 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 is just scarred of like the mania of the NFT mania of 2021. I'm kind of interested in digging into this deeper philosophy of like, is digital scarcity a good thing? Right. Like, I, I think there could be some people who say, no. This is contrary to open source values and technology where everything is free and everything is shareable. And we want a world in in our digital landscape where everything is kind of equal. We don't have the haves and the have-nots. And you can can just give NFTs out to everyone. You you, you can build it. You can do whatever you want it. At first, but then it converges in... Uh, you know, into basically people who are really good at the property game. They add to their to their their virtual property. They become kind of entrepreneurs. You know, they trade up, they leverage. Mm-hmm. Like they, it's through their maybe meritocratic efforts, they actually right. become better at the whole game of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And there right. does so what uh, tend- Minecraft is just like communism in a game. This no, no one owns anything. At, Everyone is for everything. Yes. Yes, this is kind of what I'm giving it, getting at. And I do think that there's going to be this dichotomy between people who start saying, no, um, private property ownership or the concept of ownership is not a good thing on right. the internet. And maybe Minecraft is taking that stance. Anyway, deeper philosophical conversation we, we don't have time to get into. But um, this, this uh, person makes the point, Minecraft completely rejecting NFTs and what they represent is a big deal. Minecraft is is the most successful video game in virtual world in history and was a big target for NFT racketeering. Minecraft has decided NFTs have no place in its future. Here's another tweet. Somebody who built like NFT worlds, I think, on top of Minecraft, like kind of an NFT mod extension mm-hmm. on Minecraft. And, um, you know, rest in peace. It's no longer, no longer going to work. They're banning that completely. So it does set the precedent for the entire virtual world gaming community if Minecraft is taking right. the stance of, no, right. we don't want private property in our games. Right. Well, I mean, eventually they will come around because that's where incentives lie. Yeah. We just have to, we, uh, it's just uh, up to us to not be degenerates with our NFTs. Uh, once you breeze over this, David, but notice yeah. the top five on OpenSea. Yeah. So uh, a while ago, I got very emotional about the Nickelodeon NFTs that were coming out because they're going to eventually release a SpongeBob NFT and I'm going to buy it and none of you will because I'm going to buy it. Uh, no but, matter the uh, price. No matter the price. Take all uh, of David's ETH. Yeah, take it all. Every single one. Um, uh, but they, uh, the SpongeBob NFT is not out, but the Rugrats and Hey Arnold NFTs are out. Uh, and so there was 342 ETH worth of volume in 24 hours on these Nickelodeon NFTs. These are Actual, real Nickelodeon IP NFTs issued by Nickelodeon. Uh, so cool, uh, cool. Brings out the '90s child to me. All right, so '90s child. Like, what SpongeBob character is your thing? Like, would you buy actual SpongeBob? Mm, or are you buying like Squidward or someone else? Question. 
Well, you got to think hard about question. this, man. Yeah. Hmm. I could get a Gary. Get a Gary? I could get a Gary. Yeah. There you go. David's buying yeah. the Gary. Don't front yeah. run him. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. What's happening here in .eth world? Amazon.eth has a 1 million USDC bid for it. Uh, it has so. not been accepted. It, uh, that bid expired. So no, no deal. No deal. But some other NFTs are, are going strong. God.eth, what's this? Well, yeah, so well, this also was, I don't think was accepted, but uh, somebody put 700 ETH bid on God.eth. I don't know if that was accepted or not. Uh, Jesus.eth was put up for sale for 1,000 ETH. Uh, I would not value it that much. I think that... That's too NFTs, high. That's too or, high. Sorry, dot eats are getting a little silly right now. Is that what it feels like to you? A little bit, a little bit. But I mean, what's the story? I mean, God dot eth, like that's that's a that's a gem. That's a gem. Yeah. How I can you so. hate that? Yeah. Uh, there, there's a fun, quick little story. People are like also minting like sentences as their like ens name. Not not they're they're probably not using it. It's more of like a meme. So somebody minted, stop doing fake bids. It's honestly lame. My guy dot eth. Uh, and because people were putting a fake bids onto their NFT, uh, and then that person, uh, put a 100 ETH offer on it or somebody put a 100 ETH offer on it as a fake bid. Right. Um, but then that person sold their, their, their NFT for 1.8 ETH for, which was a real bid. Uh, but then they forgot to cancel the 100 ETH bid that they, the offer that they, that they put on. And so the new buyer bought it for 1.8 ETH and then accepted the 100 ETH bid. And so the person got their ETH, got their original ENS name back. Uh, but then they lost 100 ETH because they forgot to cancel their 100 ETH offer. Wow. Oof. That's a, that's a big oof. Yeah, that's a 98 ETH uh, loss there for yeah. just fooling around yeah. with uh, the right. and, right. and being funny. Um, do you know, uh, one of the stories this week as well was mm-hmm. the Tesla balance sheet. Mm-hmm. It basically discarded a whole bunch of the Bitcoin that they had been holding. Do you remember when this started happening? Right. When there was big news in the crypto community that Elon and Tesla were buying Bitcoin. Well, apparently they sold 75% of their Bitcoin at an average price of 28K, almost 29K, which is nearly a 9% discount from their average entry of 31K. They did not have the conviction to hold the dip, David. Look, they just bought, like it went down 10% from their, um, uh, from their purchase price. And they were like, oh, panic, got to sell. And they sold. Like, oh, we want off. <laughs> no more. Yeah, we off want off this ride. Um, but what's crazy about that? So, of course, like uh, one narrative is, do you remember when the, the popular narrative is probably a year ago? is like all of the companies, all the Fortune 500s were going to you know, start uh, buying Bitcoin for their balance sheet. Right. That right. really didn't happen. Not really. And what you're it seeing now. It was just now, Sailor. Yeah, it was just it was pretty much just Sailor, a few others. And, the, and even Tesla, when they got in, they just mm-hmm. sold. And mm-hmm. so there, there's that piece of it. But there's also this point, David, that Calio <laughs> makes. Right. So the Calio says on Twitter, lol, so Elon basically liquidated three years capital because this happened a while ago. This wasn't this wasn't like in the last week or so. The news of this was came out because of like a quarterly filings or something from Tesla. Um, but the point, the price at which they sold their Bitcoin at twenty eight point eight thousand dollars was like right before the big leg down for Bitcoin between like twenty nine thousand dollars and where it bottomed out at like eighteen hundred dollars. And so, like, the meme is that Tesla sold 75% of their Bitcoin, causing the price to go down, which caused Thero's capital to get liquidated. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know. Ironic? Very, very strange. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I'll never cease to be surprised in crypto of what's going on. 
Coming up next, we got a new token. Here's that bridge token that I promised. Across across protocol, uh, they tweet out, when alpha, now is the alpha. The first stage of the across token launch is live today. They're launching an across referral link program. Uh, and there is a bunch of, it's like a, a referral program. Like you, you get your own link and then you send people and if they send people there and if they use your link to grow go across the across bridge, uh, you, you get a ACX tokens as a function of how much e, uh, fees that you paid for the protocol. I think if you pay like $1 in fees, you get like 80 cents worth of a token. Seems a little gameable, Ryan. Uh, so I'm a little bit concerned about that, uh, but I'm sure that they know this. Um, uh, I actually just uh, saw um, um, uh, Hart, Hart Lambert of, the, of, of uh, Uma, which is uh, the, the team behind Across, uh, earlier or earlier yesterday. Uh, so here, here are the tiers. Um, you, 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 I, I don't know what this rate is, maybe 40% of the fees, I think. We got copper, bronze, silver, gold premium. Copper, you get a 40% rate by just like creating the link. Bronze, 50% rate if three unique referral transfers or $50,000 in volume. And then that scales up to platinum at the very top. 80% uh, return rate, 20 unique referral transfers or, or 500K in volume. Damn, we should have our link, our referral link, for it, but we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta create that. Yeah. yeah, good opportunity there, and innovative ways to earn tokens. I think mm-hmm. this cycle, this is kind of mm-hmm. the the way airdrops are moving. Is you have to yeah. do some things to to right. earn your airdrops in right. the future. Um, only race this week is this one. NFT fraud fighters Optic. They raised at eleven million dollars seed funding round. Okay, this seems to be a way to um, authenticate the basically the authenticity of mm-hmm. an NFT. Um, copy mints apparently are mm-hmm. an ongoing problem right. in the NFT right. space and community. And so they're using some AI technology to identify the copycats and I guess, you know, authenticate and whitelist the uh, the good NFTs and the pure ones. So yeah. interesting raise there. That seems um, straightforward. Yeah. Uh, getting to jobs, David. Crypto is still hiring. As you say, it's specifically the smaller companies mm-hmm. this time around. Should I read out a few? Yeah, let's do it. This is your reminder to get a job in crypto. Now is the opportunity. Bear market can be completely ignored because the job market is hopping. Streams is hiring a financial analyst. Stakefish is a smart contract software engineer. Stakefish, again, a back uh, end full stack software engineer, also a blockchain marketer. It's non technical. A front end software engineer, a DevOps engineer. Ethereum Foundation here, hiring a front-end engineer. Uniswap Ooh. Labs is hiring. Are You Generous is hiring. Chainlink Labs. whole bunch of companies and projects hiring right now. You can go check out that list at the bankless.palette.com board. Also sign up for that. Uh, that was David, we, the worst dancing that I've ever done. What's coming oh, up look, next? Man, it, you're in Paris. It's yeah, like I'm in tired. the 90s. You're <laughs> tired. You've been going all day. It's I stayed late. Out what time is it night. for you? Did uh, you? It is, oh yeah, uh, 6.30. I saw the Rave on your calendar too. Are you still yeah. going to hit that tonight? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm uh, after this taking a nap, going and getting dinner, and going to the Rave. Yeah, make that a long nap, man, because uh, <laughs> you got to catch up. You got to yeah. catch up a little bit. What's coming up next, though? Questions of the week. Uh, we got a couple questions of the week. Two of them. We'll talk about it. I believe it's a question about Rocket Pool, and then also uh, fraud proofs uh, and uh, the uh, ASICs that are eventually going to come with fraud proofs. We're going to talk about that, and also some hot, spicy takes. Uh, Ryan, I'm fighting with this Bitcoiner. I'm going to. I'm trying to fight him and get him on the show, and then fight him there. Well, uh, I don't think that's going to be a take of the week, so I guess I'll just say that. Uh, but that's all coming up next, right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. All right, guys, we are back, starting with the questions for David and myself in the weekly roll-up. Just a reminder, if you have a question, go follow Bankless HQ on Twitter, and we are tweeting out uh, 
a we're asking you for questions once a week yeah. and you can respond to that tweet thread and get your question in. This is the first one from Top. In the past, you have mentioned that Bankless spun up X amount of mini pools via Rocket Pool. It's true. We are staking via Rocket Pool right now. What are the benefits of having multi mini pools versus a full node? I think people are asking these questions because right. they're getting excited about staking David, but what mm -hmm. are, are the benefits of a multi mini pool versus a full node in the Rocket Pool ecosystem? Oh, I love this question. Uh, this is basically the why Rocket Pool question. Okay, so why, why Rocket Pool? Uh, so in, in Rocket Pool, a node operator, and, and the, the normal node operator is 32 ETH on a node that you run, and then you just stake your ETH and run it and run the node, and that's what you do. With Rocket Pool, you spin up a Rocket Pool node, uh, which basically is a node that is also part of the Rocket Pool network. Instead of putting in 32 ETH, you put in 16 ETH. Uh, and then you allow other people to come and fill up the rest of the node. And so you put in 16 as like your half of the, like the bond, and then other people can, like somebody puts in one, somebody puts, puts in three, somebody puts in four, and then boom, you have uh, 32 ETH, and you've let other people stake their ETH using your node, uh, but you put in 16 ETH uh, because that's like the bond that you need to have in order to not be malicious. Uh, it's like uh, you're not going to do anything crazy because you have your own ETH in there. Uh, what are the benefits of doing that? Well, first, I mean, we can just talk about the uh, altruist part of it. It was like you allow other people to stake their ETH, which is nice. Good job. Good for you. But there's also the profit side of it. And we all know humans like profit. Uh, and so in addition to getting the Ether yield, you as a Rocket Pool node operator also get 15% of the staking commission of the other half of the yield. Uh, so if there if there's like a 7% ETH yield, which is about expected post-merge, um, you get 15% of the ETH of that of that 7% of the 16, 16 ETH that is in the other half of the of your Rocket Pool node. So you get a boost in your ETH APY. You also don't need 32 ETH, you only need 16 ETH uh, to, to get that started. Um, but in addition to that, you also get RPL issuance. And so if you run a Rocket Pool node, you get RPL distributions uh, because you also need RPL uh, as a bond to also bond that to your Rocket Pool node to make sure this thing is super secure. So you get more ETH yield by running your node with Rocket Pool. You also get RPL token emissions as well. Yeah, exactly mm -hmm. right, David. Uh, well said. That's why we're running some nodes and um, it's going pretty well so far. Mm -hmm. uh, very mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah, to, we, I to think we've uh, tested three blocks so far. We're up to three. Three blocks. That's nice. not bad for like three yeah. weeks, four weeks we've been doing. Yeah. This. So if anyone pays attention to the graffiti in uh, the, on the beacon chain, you'll know it when it, we, you'll know it when you get a block because it, we, our graffiti is bankless was here. <laughs> point. Um, next question. This is a question from uh, Icognito. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Are ZK rollups just like proof of work, especially in terms of energy consumption? Good question. We've been talking mm -hmm. about ZK rollups the entire time. I mean, from here, and he includes a link, it says off-chain transactions are being bundled and generate cryptographic proofs. Not really sure, but isn't this just like proof of work and needs much energy? So the question of, you know, um, all of, some sequencers are, some tech, some a tech stack is required uh, and ASICs are essentially required to run ZK rollups, right? And the question is, are these going to be as energy intensive as proof right. of work? And so have we just shifted the problem to rollups and now it's a ZK problem? What's your answer to that question? Yeah, the, the very simple answer is that proof of work is a race. And so there, it, you are incentivized to consume as much electricity as possible because you need to be first. 
Uh, with ZK rollups, like in it, it, ZK rollups also can benefit from ASICs to make their proof generation faster, just like a proof of work uh, runs on ASICs. But the, it's about the economic model, where like you, with a ZK rollup, you don't need to be first to generate that proof. You just need to generate the proof, and you don't really get like there's no you, there's no there's no reward for doing it. You just need to run the proof. So like one ASIC can support an entire. Uh, ZK rollup, for example. And so we don't need warehouses and warehouses and warehouses of ASICs to like secure a ZK rollup. You just need to generate the proof. Uh, and so because there's only one machine doing that or a few machines, like, no, absolutely not. We will definitely not get anywhere near the level of co electricity consumption. Uh, it, like, it's basically zero. There is there's basically zero energy consumption to to uh, generate a proof. It's like it's like running running a program on your laptop. It's not that hard. Exactly, yeah. Um, proof of work is pretty unique in its energy yes. consumption profile, yes. I'd say. Mm -hmm. All right, last question of the week. Uh, Madge80.eth says, Polygon is killing it, but do develops like the ZK EVM benefit the ETH token, or do these developments benefit or increase the value of just the Matic token? Do you think there are any merits to seeing Polygon as a competitor to Ethereum? So yeah, this is the classic alignment question. Are rollups aligned with the layer one? And the, the answer isn't holistically absolutely yes, because it is actually a different blockchain, it is not Ethereum itself, therefore it has a different level of alignment. Now, is that alignment like misaligned or aligned? It's a spectrum. Uh, you can be highly, highly aligned with, with Ethereum. I would put optimism in this camp. They're, they're the, the, they were going after EVM equivalents very, very early. And EVM equivalence is, I would say, strong, strong Ethereum alignment. In addition to that, they don't use the OP token as their own native currency token. They use ETH. So that is strong Ethereum alignment. So I would say optimism is like highly, highly aligned with Ethereum, uh, not just at the protocol level, but also in like the, the philosophy and values level. On the very other side of the spectrum, I might put something like uh, the Starkware ecosystem and StarkNet, where they had they announced their token is a native payment token uh, rather than ETH for their for the StarkNet. Uh, and they also have like layer threes on top of the layer two. They also have their own coding language. And like culturally, I wouldn't uh, compare them to sharing the same values of Ethereum, at least not as much as I would with optimism. So there's a spectrum here of like alignment. So Polygon killing it, but uh, do the benefits benefit or increase the value of Ether or Justmatic? It's both. There is a little bit of a misalignment, but that is just the bargain that you make when you produce a different blockchain. You have to optimize for something different. You are not the Ethereum layer one. But I would definitely say it absolutely all things on all layer twos that settle on the Ethereum layer one always ultimately benefit Ethereum. Uh, the mere the mere uh, concept of just buying block space and using Ether to do that and burning Ether is like the minimum level of alignment required to have a mutually aligned uh, system. Uh, and so the answer is both. Yeah, and I think across that spectrum, uh, as you said, they uh, they outsource monetary supremacy differently to Ethereum, right? Arbitrum Optimism, they use ETH uh, completely. Um, mm -hmm. With Polygon, they're using ETH as the gas token, and they're using mm -hmm. Matic for staking. And with Starkware, as you mentioned... Wait, no, Matic is, using... Matic's the gas token. No, it's not. Uh, not Polygon? for the Not, not for the uh, ZK EVM stuff. Oh, yeah, for the ZK, yeah, Sandeep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 Sandeep, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, just mentioned this and kind of confirmed it because people were asking questions about that. And then um, StarkNet, as you said, that's going to be completely using its own token. And this kind of reminds me of, you know how we use the, I'm just obsessed with this analogy of like federal government versus right. states. I just love this analogy, right? And mm -hmm. it's like, if you if you look at kind of the early United States, you know, many, many individual states had um, their own currencies. Right. And that actually stopped 
when the Constitution started being enforced, was written and uh, put into, into law into practice, because in Article One of the Constitution, it says Congress gets the power to coin money and regulate the value of foreign coin. And it also says no state gets the ability to coin money. Right? Mm-hmm. So that was embedded in Congress in the, in the Constitution. On Ethereum, that is not embedded in the Ethereum right. Constitution. So if you are a roll-up, if you're a consumer of Ethereum block space, there is no protocol mandate that you must use the Ether token. So it's a different, a bit of a different setup. On, on yet, the layer two, it does mandate it on the layer one. So you yes. do have to use the currency at the layer that, one. That is completely true. And so on the layer on the layer one, to your point, if any blockchain is a roll-up and they are paying for Ethereum block space, they are a net consumer of Ethereum block space, then they are net accretive to Ether. And some of these states might want to preserve their own currencies as well. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. might use Ether plus their own currency. There is a world, maybe, where one of these states become large enough that they decide to fork off from the union entirely, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So Texas, okay? Right. They become so large, their economy is so great, they start to say, we're better off without right. just Ethereum and we we want to kind of launch our own chain as a layer one and fork off and um, leave Ethereum. We'll we'll still have treaties with them and alliance, but we won't have the monetary union that we. And th- that is possible. Um, so I think we'll see lots of different outcomes. And uh, I guess the bottom line is none of these rollups are positioned in a way that make them a layer one settlement uh, for other rollups and for foreign governments. We'll have to. We'll ha- and for uh, other rollups, we'll have to see if how that changes in the future. But each mm-hmm. of them are taking a different approach. Anyway, uh, that's that. Takes the week, David. On to the takes. Let's do it. We got one from BlockFi. This is Ryan Selkis. What is he saying? Yeah, so Ryan Selkis says, The paths taken by BlockFi and Celsius leadership teams this past months are as divergent as it gets. I don't really know what he meant by that, so I asked him if he could elaborate. And Ryan Selkis continues saying, Celsius fought to the last minute to save themselves, and they put user funds at risk. BlockFi fire sold to a bidder that would protect user funds at all costs. Thank you, BlockFi. Nice job. Also, Celsius, F off. (laughs) You did a better job. It's another (laughs) spectrum, David. There's so many spectrums here, right? Like, both careless with risk management, but Celsius was just far more careless. It was just ludicrous how terrible they were. Mm -hmm. Uh, BlockFi, they made some mistakes. But still, you know, preserved. And then other crypto banks are even healthier. And people are talking this week about um, Coinbase bankruptcy again. Right. Um, and like, I don't see that at all. Like, that right. is not in the that cards. That would be a surprise. That'd be a that surprise. would be a massive surprise. Coinbase did not loan Thoros Capital any money. Right. Anyway, so different crypto banks played this very differently, had different risk management in effect. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Tron Adams tweets out, you have to realize that blockchains have two social layer, two layers, the tech layer, the layer one, the social layer, the layer zero, also the name of my podcast, uh, on layer zero, the code is memes, brains are the validators, shared belief is the consensus, the social layer matters even more than the tech, but they interact in a perpetual feedback loop. Ryan, I feel like very few people or very few communities outside of Ethereum, like understand this. I think the Bitcoiner ecosystem understands this. I think it, it, that's so true, and I think that is the single um, most unappreciated mm-hmm. part of the crypto story and right. blockchain story of like the value of the, the social layer, right? So the social layer does have code. It's in narrative form. It's in right. meme form. It's right. articles 
Okay, it's podcasts. Yeah. We are forming the social layer now on Bankless as we speak. This is part mm-hmm. of it. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Brains are the validators. So everyone's individual brain, their belief, their orientation on something has the ability to accept what an article is saying, what a meme is saying, what a narrative is saying, what a podcast host is saying as true or false. They're checking it. Their brain is kind of the, the fact finder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then shared belief becomes kind of the consensus of the layer zero chain, right? And ultimately, David, that's what all of the technology rests on. And there's also this feedback loop between like the layer one and the social layer in that some social layers attract, um, well, some tech layers attract different types of social layers due to the choices that they've make, made. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of, I, I just, I think the anthropology of these systems is probably the most fascinating part. It's like 100%. the economics 100%. is super fascinating. The technology is super fascinating, but like the culture right. of these layer zero ecosystems right. of Ethereum versus Bitcoin versus Solana versus some other chain, that is the most fascinating mm-hmm. part for me. And it shows you that this is a coordination technology and a social technology. Right. And I think almost no one is looking at blockchain deeply through this lens. People right. like Josh Rosenthal are on our right. podcast, a few others yeah. are doing it, but is the most interesting way to look at um, crypto technology and the whole thing that's happening in crypto. And the big lessons that I like to pull from this is like, it was something that was really interesting is uh, uh, Danny Sesta from Wonderland gets like, becomes like super egotistical, like uh, very, like very populist tactics. And then like goes after MakerDAO and says, oh, we're going to be better than MakerDAO and pr- make the next stable coin. And then like, and then we get in a fight with him because I didn't know who he was. I get attacked by his fraud community. And then Danny Sesta and his uh, Icarusing blew up like a month later because of the whole Wonderland drama. Fast forward about two months, uh, I get in a fight with Doquan on Twitter. Uh, I, Doquan says, buy my hand, die, the stablecoin from MakerDAO will die. Uh, and then I get in a fight with him and then, and then we become enemies, I guess. Uh, and then he gets like super egotistical and and like self-centered and just like pumping and chilling and t- telling telling you, Ryan, that you don't know anything about blockchain. Uh, and then like just be- be- becoming crazy and then, you know, blows up about a month later. So like there's this pattern of like uh, when the social layer incentivizes like this like, like populist maniacs to like run a protocol, it ha- and then they ha- also happen to go after MakerDAO. They blow up, and that's because the code of the layer one, the layer zero, works its way into the tech stack on the layer one or the, or the app chain. And so, like, you have to understand who your leaders are because the culture that these people surround themselves with interact with certain people and create the actual fundamentals of the actual technology themselves. Yeah, and the the other side of that is true too. Is like I think less. Um, a lot of people looked at the the Terra design itself from a security mm-hmm. model on upwards to like the Algo stablecoin model, and they said, "Oh, I'm not touching that. Right. I'm a, I'm going to build on a deep, different ecosystem." Right. And so the design of the layer one tends mm-hmm. to attract a different layer zero people mm-hmm. who are just certainly in it for kind of like more temporary, not thinking about these things, not t- thinking about the long term in that way. I, I, one of my favorite contrasts, though, is like Bitcoin versus Ethereum oh, because God, we the, did, these we are did two, bring in the coin. <laughs> these are the two longstanding communities. Uh, what is this clip that we're showing right here? Uh, yeah, so this is the end of our Luke Grauman podcast where uh, he basically gives the Bitcoiner line that like proof of stake represents like fiat systems. This and, and this is like a fiat system, which just makes no sense. And and like you know, a lot of macro experts 
They're they're macro. They're knowledgeable in macro. Um, I would put Lynn Alden here. As soon as they start talking about like crypto stuff, like it, it kind of breaks down. Uh, and so like just it was just conflating governance with proof of stake, like all Bitcoiners do. And then Corey Clifton, who I've actually had on my other podcast, POV Crypto Ryan. I I talked. I hosted him on that show once. I don't know uh, him at all. Yeah, uh, he go. He, he tweets out. Imagine having a show, and every time you finally get a smart guest to come on, uh, they tell you your life's work is meaningless. It's so sad to watch over and over and over. <laughs> They're again. talking about us. They're talking about bankless. They're talking about because, you and me. Because, uh, because Luke, just to be right. clear in this clip, he was saying, no, 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 I'm not into crypto. I'm into Bitcoin specifically. Right. That is the only right. crypto. Like, stop right. talking about other cryptos. Uh, my, my focus and the value here is actually Bitcoin. Corey, let's fight. Let's fight. <laughs> what do you Come mean on the show? fight? Come yeah, on the we'll, show. We'll, you want to bring yeah, him on the show? Yeah, we'll, we'll host him on the show and, I'll, and we'll yell at each other. There you That'll go. That's... Uh, you know, so I, I, I tweeted this out early in the week because mm-hmm. I was feeling a lot of like a whole bunch of people piled on and, and talked about right. um, how dumb we are and all sorts of things, right? Which is pretty typical on Twitter. Right. Um, but the weird thing about I th- going back to the anthropology and the social layer, the layer zero here is mm-hmm. you can't apparently in like particularly the Bitcoin maximalist community, we got into this with Nick Carter a little bit. You can't be a Bitcoiner who likes Ethereum at the same time. Right. Right. Uh, apparently, and so I tweeted this out. I'm a Bitcoiner who likes Ethereum more. Is that allowed? And you know, some people, of course, are saying yes, that's allowed. Your tweet was like, "No, you must sacrifice everything." Kind of tongue in cheek mm-hmm. here. Well, I'm that I take that seriously. That is the so the, okay. Connecting this to the economic model of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a faith-based blockchain. The security budget runs out. And so you have to just operate on faith that this thing works. And the only way that it works is that if Bitcoin literally goes to infinity, and that's the only way of, 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 of the, like, the sustainability of the ecosystem if Bitcoin pumps forever. So you have to have faith that that Bitcoin price doesn't go so low that the, that the blockchain becomes unstable. Uh, and so if you, you are not allowed to believe in any other crypto asset because you must have the shelling point of you have to believe in Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a faith-based, a faith-secured blockchain. As soon but, as the issuance runs out, it's, it's insecure. And so you have to have faith that it works. And what's interesting is, um, I mean, we, we've emphasized the, the social layer to being so important, right? Like Ethereum's social layer is very important to its success. It would be mm-hmm. maybe a little, a lot less faith-based, I would say, but Certainly. there is some sort of underlying beliefs here. But that's right. exactly what you're saying is like right. the religious aspect is the thing that's so interesting. And so do you know Dennis mm-hmm. Porter? Yep. I've also, uh, we have, we've hosted him on the show actually. Oh yeah. We've hosted, you, I don't think yeah. I was there yeah. for that show. I think it was yeah. like you and Justin. Anyway. So he answered the question from, I think the Bitcoin maximalist position. I'm like, I'm a Bitcoiner who likes Ethereum more. Is that even allowed? Dennis Porter goes, that's like saying I'm a Green Bay fan, but I like the Bears more. Okay. Football reference, right? I, it's I like, these I are mortal enemies. That reference. Okay. So oh. I was like, so it's not allowed. Right. And right. he's like, some people think owning Bitcoin is enough, and I wish we all live in that world, but we don't. You'll never be accepted as a Bitcoiner until you sell your ETH bags because you've attacked Bitcoin so much. Right. And I think exactly. they would classify what you just said as running as out of- attack on Bitcoin. Issuance. I just attacked Bitcoin. Yes, that's an attack mm-hmm. on Bitcoin. It's an your attack on wavered. the faith. Yes, right. it's an attack on the faith. A heretic, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's monetary warfare, and you chose a side that's opposed to Bitcoin. Right. I was a little snarky, well, tongue-in-cheek. Right. I also own a house. Do I have to sell that too, Dennis? Um, mm-hmm. He told me I had to sell all my ETH in order to be a Bitcoiner. No, Ryan, here's the key. Here's, it's not just a back and forth. Part of this is like, I'm just so fascinated mm-hmm. by the social dynamics here. And like, I really feel like we are witnessing the birth of not just a social movement, but like 
almost like techno religions here, David. So yeah, he, blockchain, he like blockchains are, are like omnipotent like gods. Like every <laughs> single blockchain, every single layer one is a is a god. And like There's you all, everyone, and, that, and there are Algos, that's why this crypt, crypto is so tribal. Algos being religion. So he, here's what mm-hmm. he said. Uh, I also own a house, so I have to sell that too. Dennis goes, no, Ryan, it has nothing to do with your holdings. Okay, and distinction. You and David specifically go after Bitcoin. You still right. have the ultrasound money emojis in your name. That's the we mm-hmm. like Ethereum more part. You also challenge the energy use of Bitcoin. These are both attacks on on Bitcoin. No, so, you're, no, they're fair and valid critiques. <laughs> right. But, but they, by the they, way, can't, uh, they can't accept that. I am bullish on Bitcoin. I, I like right. Bitcoin. The number is going to go up. Like, I'm a Bitcoin. I hold a Bitcoin. I own some Bitcoin. I just like ETH better for many of the reasons sure we just Bitcoin. said. <laughs> well, you've gone the other way. But like, I'm a Bitcoiner if I own Bitcoin, right? No, according right. to Dennis, because you have attacked right. the faith. And so this is where I think it gets religious. I go, I think all this would be plainer if you guys put out a statement of faith. Like the core beliefs of right. of Bitcoin. What what Thou does it take to be a Bitcoiner? Shitcoin. Yeah, something simple. And like uh, the Christians did this in the early days with the Nicene uh, Creed. Anyway, we go back and forth. I just mm-hmm. think the religious parallels here are are very interesting. He goes, "That's impossible, Ryan. You know that." Some of the folks who say holding Bitcoin is enough could be right. I've thought deeply about it, but you're making me realize that someone can't attack Bitcoin and be a Bitcoiner. So Dennis goes, "It's impossible to write a statement of faith." Because that would be like more centralizing. Um, I think it can be solved. I think if the Bitcoiners wanted to come up with a statement of faith, like the maximalists, of what it actually takes to be a Bitcoin maximalist and say things like, thou shalt not attack Bitcoin, right? I, as a Bitcoiner, will not attack Bitcoin. Instead, I will support it in all of these ways. And that makes me a Bitcoiner. It would be much more simple. But I'm super interested to see how this evolves over the decades to come. Because David... Bitcoin still ain't going anywhere, not with this right. level of unshakable belief that people have, right. even if and when we think it's very likely the flipping happens, whereas ETH is larger in market cap. You're not going to shake this community, David. No. Look at no. look at how no, strongly going, they they're believe. They're going down with the ship. Yeah. And they, so well, where does it, cyber, cyber hornets for a reason? Well, where does it go? Right. It's like, OK, mm-hmm. you start to create like statements of faith. You start to say like, you know, Satoshi being kind of this anonymous person who's faded like in the in the decades to centuries to come. Like, how does this evolve? Right. Is mm-hmm. Satoshi like mm-hmm. the God who left Earth? Like, I, I don't even know. It gets it gets weird. But I literally I think that we are seeing the birth of a religion. And uh, it's so it's not just an asset class that we're investing in. And people don't understand these social dynamics at play. But that, to me, is the lens through which we have to view this space. Anyway, a little bit of trolling with Dennis and some back and right. forth fun. But honestly, I'm 50 percent. It's just pure fascination that like this is how people see things. Well, this is kind of like why I'm generally bearish on Bitcoin in the long term is that the culture around Bitcoin is that Bitcoin has no flaws. Its current state is absolutely perfect, uh, you know, immaculate, immaculate conception of Bitcoin. It's, it was perfect from day one, and therefore we don't need to improve it. And I'm like, yeah, well, Bitcoin's got some flaws. It's like, it's not, it's not perfect, guys. You got to fix yeah. some stuff. Yeah. Like, you can, you can secure a blockchain without proof of work. And no, proof of work is not the most fair consensus mechanism. It's actually highly centralizing. God damn. Yep. There we go. <laughs> uh, back to that. Um, let's see. Last thing is your take here. David Hoffman says, (laughs) born too late to explore the globe, born too early to venture into space, but born at the perfect time to watch ETH become the greatest (laughs) asset the world's ever seen. That's a pure pump tweet, David. Uh, I feel like I've read something like that before. 
Yeah, can you retweet that? I'm trying to get more likes than Sazzle, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I have the canonical most liked version of this copy. You already tweet. won. You already won. No, Here's no, Anthony's. he has. A, he, okay, I, that's what I said. But then he's got he got another one because he like he's tweeted out three times or whatever. That one that has like 900 likes. So I need to get 100 more likes. Hey man, these are the tweets that perform. All right, I'm working <laughs> that for you. Uh, what do you okay, bullish but, on this? But week? I will, ta- I oh, will you have take this more, 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 yeah, right. And so, like, okay. there's always like the 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 frontier used to be, you know, in the era of the 1700s, 1600s of gold, god, and glory, right? Uh, god themed episode today of like getting on the ship and exploring the frontier of Earth. Uh, well, I mean, but it's also too late to explore the final frontier of space. But at least we get to Ryan explore the crypto economic frontier of Ethereum. So yeah, I'm, t- I'm totally with you. I, I think this yeah. is the most exciting uh, white space available for people. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, what are you excited about this week? Tell me. We've, we've I've uh, teased it out a little bit, but I've done uh, eight interviews between twenty and twenty and thirty minutes each, uh, all at ECC, and uh, I'm just like really leaning into the uh, the in person interviews. I really really like these, um, but also just like the state of Bankless. Like I feel like we get to ask cooler questions uh and so like i Give asked me some highlights uh, i i asked the starkware people as to whether they will ever fork off of ethereum and settle on a different chain or whether they will just make their own layer one Ooh. i am of course not leaking the answer at all <laughs> um i and then i, I remember when uh, kane warwick and suzu got in a fight on, on reasonable size houses on, on crypto twitter well yep. i talk about him with that so like, i'm you know asking all the fun stuff and it's kind of cool <laughs> i heard uh there's something about Vitalik as well. Uh, oh, yeah. He... Well, he he's the number one. Yeah. I asked Vitalik about like the general morale of the, the Ethereum developers and how that's tracked over time. Um, yeah. Some questions that I don't really think anyone could really ask. So right. I'll, I'll run through it. We got Vitalik. Uh, we got Stani from Ave, Kane from Synthetics. We got uh, Kevin Owaki and Austin Griffith as a duo. That was fun. That was super comical. Um, uh, Evan McMullen from Disco. I'm definitely going to miss some people. Uh, Mahalo from from uh, Polygon. Uh, we did. Uh, Sunny from Cosmos. I'm also getting super interested in Cosmos. Um, I actually got super interested in Cosmos back in 2018 when I first learned about it and then just got sucked into Ethereum. Um, this uh, is like a, I, a taste of ETCC though, right? This yes, is like an ETCC experience, but also just like sub micro podcasts. Because like I ask, you know, I asked Sunny about Cosmos, right? I asked Evan about decentralized data. Yeah. Uh, and so in addition to like, all right, like how's Paris? It's also like, okay, let's let's like talk about like what you're up to. All right. So this is the ETCC experience episode, I guess. At least <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what it'll be for me and when does that come mm-hmm. out david that's going to premiere 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time on tuesday uh so i just threw all of these very high def 1080p local microphones audio quality should be great uh it's coming out uh, on your youtube uh this coming tuesday so stay tuned and also spotify video podcast also spotify on spotify video. also, spotify also video, video yeah. on spotify mm-hmm. so go check that out cheers ryan what are you bullish on uh, David, I gotta say it, man. I'm so thankful you didn't steal mine because you're at ETCC. I'm bullish on the merch, my friend. <laughs> we have a date. We're all bullish on the merch. That's the entire market no. section of this podcast, Ryan. All right, that's the next like few weeks, like the next two months. I'm gonna be bullish on the merch. Maybe the, the rest of the year, I'm bullish on the merge. Okay. That's. I, I just don't need to ask you this anymore. We'll just yeah, pull I mean, the same tweet been, over and over and over like, again. No, it's it's so it's so exciting. I mean, this has been such a long time coming, but the timing is what strikes me. And I tweeted this yeah. out. Ethereum is about to become the world's only deflationary monetary asset at a time of historic monetary inflation. What a contrast. What a contrast. Yeah. As I'm, je- s- I'm jealous that you tweeted that out. That was a Look, good tweet. man, that's like, uh, maybe I stole this from Anthony Sassano back in the day. No, <laughs> I said this first. <laughs> no, this is unique. I was the one making this connection. The internet bond is the connection to make here, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. like ETH as an asset is becoming 
like a, a sovereign bond, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so you can buy Japanese bonds, you can buy U.S. Right. treasuries, you can buy euro bonds. Uh, but why would you when you know you're going to be the sucker on the other end of that table and it's mm-hmm. all going to be inflated away and your real returns mm-hmm. on those assets will be negative? Well, guess what? Your real returns on ETH as a bond will not be negative. You know how we know this is right. because it's a deflationary asset. Mm-hmm. As ETH or it's about to is be. used, as block space is used, it gets burnt. A portion of ETH gets burnt, so the supply goes down. Mm-hmm. Even now, in these low gas fee economic times, we're still burning like 0.2% ETH per year. Mm-hmm. As if you go to ultrasound money, you can go see that. Right. Right. So a deflationary asset that's what's coming. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited about this. This is, you know, we've been talking about ultrasound money for like over a year. Forever. I think that yeah. episode mm-hmm. of Justin Drake came came out. Uh, probably I think it was July of last year. Yeah, I mean, no, it might have been earlier than 15 that. Fifteen or sixteen months ago, right? It's like yeah. mm-hmm. over a year ago, and now we're finally here. We're about to get into ultrasound money, and I'm very mm-hmm. excited about the economic benefits. Not going to scale ETH yet. That comes later. All the zk stuff we've been talking about. That's a scalability strategy. But this is a massive economic upgrade, not to mention we get all the benefits of proof of work going away and mm-hmm. the environmental narrative, all of these it things. It taxed Bitcoin again. I tax Bitcoin <laughs> again at the end. Uh, apparently, I'm not a Bitcoiner. I do not subscribe I'm to looking, the faith. It's, it's, it's going to be really sad when like there's a couple of roll-ups ago I had that tweet. It's like how to become a millionaire, stick around during the bear market. Well, it's going to hit different when, like, is because we're all millionaires because the dollar got turned into, like, yes. you know, <laughs> got turned yes. into nothing. And so yes. one Ether is a million dollars because the dollar's yeah. worth a penny now. Like, not like this. <laughs> not to be like a millionaire, this. but not like this. Please. <laughs> Please, God. All right. Oh, meme of the gosh. week. What do we got this week? Meme of the week. Oh, song a day, man. Jonathan Mann, who I've also had on the podcast. I've had goddamn everyone at the podcast at this point. Uh, he did a song with our with our job section. Uh, so he made a song about getting a job in crypto, and that is going to come up right after Ryan gives us the regular disclaimers that we usually do. Guys, if that doesn't pump you to get a job in crypto, then nothing will. Enjoy this song from the song a day, man. Of course. Before we get there, though, I have to say risks and disclaimers. Crypto is risky. ETH and Bitcoin are absolutely risky. You could lose what you put in. You just said Bitcoin's risky. That's an attack on Bitcoin. I just attacked Bitcoin there. But I also attacked Ether in the same sentence. But we are headed west. Yeah, well, at at least Ethereum isn't insecure and can take criticism. Stop. Stop this. This is the (laughs) frontier. It's not for everyone. But we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Get a job in crypto. Don't wait to it.